He slept in his parents' bedroom until he was 13. He wet the bed until he was 14. He doesn't know how to ride a bike. Apparently, he has friends. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Wexel. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. I'm Evan Wexel. It's a podcast where I interview a different Facebook friend every episode at Awkward with Evan on all the social media. Also, awkwardwithevan.com for every old episode. And of course, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, all the places for podcasts to find old episodes of this or awkwardwithevan.com has every single episode back to episode one. Um, it's for today. Uh, I was contacted by the campaign of a U.S. Senate candidate, and how could I turn it down? And luckily, this person was already my Facebook friend. His name is Mark Moiser, and uh, he is running for U.S. Senate in the state of California. So I wanted to dig in to see what you know, what some of his main talking points were, the main issues um, that got him into this race, what he has tried to do to, uh, I guess, make California a fairer place. Um, but we get into it, and then I do get to talk to him about some of his Ironman exploits. He does a good number of Ironman races. Uh, so dig in. This is a good one. This is a long one. And uh, we, we leave almost no stone unturned. So this is my talk with Mark Moiser. Hi, this is Socially Offered with Evan Lexell. And uh, today I have a... U.S. Senate candidate with me. Um, they reached out to me. I was very excited about this because I had some good success with past interviews, and uh, I had to let them know that they had to be my Facebook friend. But luckily, this person is already my Facebook friend. He's running for U.S. Senate in the state of California. Mark Muser, how are you? Is it Moiser or Muser? It's Moiser. Oh, good, Moiser. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you for for joining my humble abode. And uh, I guess the first question is, is how is the campaign going? You know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, yeah. We got a, a huge challenge here in California, but, you know, the, we also have a huge opportunity in California because voters are understanding that the failed policies right now that are going on are not working for California. And they're actually starting to look for options. And so it's... Uh, it's a it's a good year to be a non-incumbent in the state of California. Is there uh, is the trajectory of your campaign kind of what you expected? Has it has it been better because of the circumstances of recent years or what are you finding? Because I know this isn't your first time running, but how is this time different? Well, we've got to start. You know, I, I did the. The unusual thing of announcing that I was running for U.S. Senate in the middle of the recall election. Yes. And I, I did that just because, you know, not because I wanted to compete with the recall election, but just so we could start organizing for after the recall. And because of what happened in the recall, there was a definite uh, sucking of air out of the room that happened here in the state of California. <laughs> and uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to ask your uh, what did you think about? The recall, like, were there things you thought that were successful about it or could you put your finger on? Because I first discovered you from I think you made how to videos about the recall, how to fill out petitions. Um, Did you notice like what happened? Because it was kind of neck and neck and then it kind of got away towards the end. Well, yes, 
the polling data about five, six weeks out was showing it was a neck and neck race. Right. And Gavin Newsom realized he was a very unpopular governor. <laughs> and because it was a recall, he had the ability to raise unlimited funds right, uh, to defend himself. And, he, you know, in between him and the Democrat Party and PACs, they spent well over $100 million to keep his job. Wow. That is how unpopular Gavin Newsom was, that he had to spend over $100 million promoting himself yeah. in the state of California, the mo- <laughs> supposedly the most progressive state in the union, the most progressive governor of all time. Mm-hmm. Had to spend over a hundred million dollars to, to keep his job. Yeah. So if you stop and think about what happened, um, yeah. You know, and the fact is, he had unlimited funds because people could just give him whatever. You know, there was no campaign limits when you're running for governor. There's a you know cap around twenty nine thousand dollars that any corporation could give. Mm-hmm. But you know what? This also happened right during bill signing period. So every corporation in California that wanted the governor to sign their bill Mm -hmm. understood that the governor was up for Mm reelection. And so, you know, there was he was able to raise a boatload of money and he was able to spend a boatload of money. And what we saw is they ran a very effective get out the vote campaign. They made sure that their people got to the polls and voted. You know, they 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 changed the rules by allowing, uh, you know, about several years ago they allowed ballot harvesting, but this time they made sure everybody had a ballot rather than just those who were permanent vote by mail. Everybody had a ballot mailed to them. Mm -hmm. And then they made sure that they knocked on those doors and they got those ballots and they turned them in. And 10 days before the election, uh, you know, because they've done such a good job of getting the ballots in, they started their voter suppression campaign, where basically the media started talking about how the election was already over. Because take a look at, you know, Gavin Newsom's people had come out in record numbers and the Republicans hadn't. Now, Anybody who really knew what was going on, the Republicans were waiting to vote on election day, and right. you know the, the and Democrats got got their people out. They started banging the drums ten days before, and we hadn't ever really seen that happen before, where the media paid any attention to the absentee ballot count. Campaigns mm-hmm. pay attention to it, but the media has never talked about that issue before. It was kind of a taboo subject. You don't talk about that. Until uh, until after the polls close, but the media, being the communication arm of Gavin Newsom and his progressive agenda, ten days. I mean, this is so unprecedented in the United States or in California. But ten days before, they started talking about how the election was already over, wow. and the the massive movement of we'll call them the middle people, the decline to states, the independents. Those people who were most likely to go to the polls and vote to get rid of Gavin Newsom for 10 days heard this message that the election was already over. And since there was only one thing on the ballot, the election was already over. 
why vote? And that was one of the things that I was seeing on election day. I We had this number of what we were anticipating to come in on election day. Mm-hmm. And it was nowhere close that many people came and voted on election day. It, wow. you, it was very, very clear that the voter suppression techniques of Gavin Newsom and his communication arms mm-hmm. did a stellar job with their hundred million dollars to ensure that he kept his job. And even though this isn't your race, how do you see his reelection coming down the pipeline? Because I guess California is a strange thing because it's like it's jungle for the primary and it's only the top two move on. How do you see his reelection? Because is it just as easy as getting all the D's to line up again for him against whoever or um, because of the fundraising limitations there are for a general election? Do you see that race playing out any differently? We're still a long ways out from November, right? Um, but you know, I, I, as a political animal, yes. <laughs> somebody who follows politics very, very closely, you know, studies polling data. But I mean, I've personally spoken with over ten thousand people in the last six months. Wow, that's personal communications is over ten thousand that I, I have personally had. Wow. Uh, and really talking to people across the spectrum in different locations. Uh, the, the, the feeling that I have and and is yes, there is a percentage of Californians that absolutely love Gavin Newsom and they're going to do whatever he wants them to do. Mm -hmm. But even in the Democrat party, there is a major, major schism going on right now. I don't think that you're going to see it in the June, uh, top two primary. I think Gavin Newsom is easily going to skate through. And the reason for that is in the primaries, it tends to be the wings of the party that are most engaged to get their candidates to the poll to vote. And in the November election is when you see more of the masses uh, who come out to vote. So understanding that dynamic, I think, you know, it's not even going to be an issue. Gavin's going to go through the the June primary uh, with no issue. What we're going to see in November is going to depend on who the opposition is and what kind of money they're able to raise, what kind of name recognition, what kind of resume, and more importantly, what kind of message they're going to run on. Um, But I know, you know, I've personally had conversations with major Democrat activists, major Democrat bundlers, Mm -hmm. and Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom are just they don't know what to do with them. I mean, I, I, I've talked to major Democrat bundlers who are now supporting my campaign for U.S. Senate. Oh, wow. Because, because it's like we got to start reining in this progressive uh, Marxist wing of our party because it doesn't represent uh, the Democrat Party or our values. And, you know, and the issues are what are they doing on inflation? what they're doing on national security, what they're doing on education, what they're doing uh, with crime. And there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of Democrats and decline to states that do not agree with this 
left-wing progressive policy of trying to destroy our United States Constitution and our fundamental constitutional rights. They do not like this authoritarian, top-down, one-man-makes-all-the-rule approach. Um, and so there, it will be very interesting to see. I mean, it, it, it's a lot's going to depend upon the candidate that comes out of the you know, there's 26 candidates running for governor right now. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be very interesting to see which candidate gets out and, and what approach that they're going to take. And for you now, switching over to your Senate race, like why did you pick U.S. Senate? You've run for secretary of state before. I believe you ran for state Senate before. Because it always seems like, you know, whoever's the president, whatever's happening federally, it seems like the states can always do their own thing. Was are there things the U.S. Senate can do versus a a California state Senate? Like, what drew you to to running to this race that you're in? There's a couple different answers to that question. Yeah. Um. So it's probably a combination. I'll I'll try to break uh, sure. them up, and I don't know which one is more important or whatever. But over the last two years, I've sued Gavin Newsom 22 times. Nice. I've sued, I've sued Joe Biden for over the uh, OSHA vaccine mandate. I've been in, involved in suits against county public health officers. I think in total, I have over 30 lawsuits regarding COVID mandates. Wow. Now, before I ever was even an attorney, when I was a teenager, I purchased a first edition set of the Madison Papers. Most people don't know what those are. I don't. Those are the diaries of James Madison taken at the Constitutional Convention. Oh, wow. It is basically the only record of what transpired in behind those closed doors. And it's where you really learn why the founding fathers did what they did and what the debates were and what the compromises were. And so I have been a constitutional scholar long before I ever even went to law school. You know, I didn't become a constitutional scholar because of law school. I was a constitutional scholar because of that love of our constitutional republic. And in our constitution, there is a guarantee to the citizens of the United States that we are going to live in a republic. The constitution guarantees to us a republican form of government. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, to understand what a republican form of government is, it was based upon the foundation that we have the right of self-governance. Don't understand what self-governance is? Ask a two-year-old to go take a nap, and they will express in multiple <laughs> ways their right to self-governance. Now, right. just like a parent has the right to veto the, the right of self-governance of a two-year-old, so too our Constitution laid out the framework by which our right of self-governance would be vetoed. And that is by a law passed by our duly elected representatives within the confines of the Constitution. Now, the reason why I've been winning most of these cases is because I've been successfully arguing that these mandates exceed the limits of the Constitution. Right. But the argument that I should have been able to make in every single case is that the, law, that the mandates were not passed by my duly elected representative. And because it was not passed by my duly elect elected representatives, it violates the Constitution and thus it's unenforceable and the case should be dismissed. That should have been my argument. But over 100 years ago, the Supreme Court had ruled that that guarantee in the Constitution of a Republican form of government is a non-judiciable issue. Okay. Which means that the only guarantee that you have 
of a Republican form of government is not from the courts. And when the when the president and the executive branch are violating that Republican form of government, it means there's only one branch of government that's left to protect that constitutional right of a Republican form of government. U.S. Congress and U.S. Senate. Ah. And so as someone who has basically been on the front lines fighting these mandates, one of the leading COVID mandate lawyers in the nation, it became abundantly clear that the only way I could continue this fight would be to go to the U.S. Senate and start reining in the unelected bureaucracy, start taking back power from the unelected bureaucracy and uh, start restore, you know, and start making the states guarantee, you know, because the Senate is able to, you know, they're the ones who are supposed to guarantee a Republican form of government in what the states do. So it is the it is the only check that is left on the states and on the bureaucracy. And so that is why I decided I had to take my fight for people's constitutional rights from the courthouse mm-hmm. to the U.S. Capitol. All right, we're going to get back to my talk with Mark. But first, a new way to support the podcast. I will get into patreon.com slash funny Evan. That's to support on a monthly basis. But uh, we are I'm in the process of having uh, a website and I started to do this with the, the podcast t-shirts um, on Teespring, which is now called Spring. Um, I am turning that store into a general uh, t-shirt apparel store, not just for the podcast, but also for uh, my comedian work. So if you want to go there and support this podcast, one way you can do that is go to funnyforevertees.com. That's T-E-E-S.com. There we will start to populate uh, a lot of different things that will be uh, evergreen, as we like to say, and uh, all kinds of ways um, to uh, support the podcast, uh, support me, and that way I can do more of this. So go there, and let's get back to my talk with Mark. The second major reason why U.S. Senate Mm-hmm. is you mentioned in 2018, I ran for California Secretary of State. Right. And as I traveled up and down the state, one of the things that I became known for is I would stop at a vacant lot and I would just pull out my phone and I would say, you know, at this vacant lot here in Malibu, there are 75 registered voters. And in last week's election, 13 of them voted. Wow. Now, do you see anybody who lives in this vacant lot? You know, I went to a miniature golf place in San Diego where there were 13 registered voters or a a motel that had been closed for two years. And there were 60 registered voters registered at that location. Yeah. And I, you know, I went up and down the state and was really campaigning on the fact that our voter rolls were not being maintained properly. Right. And that was one of the things that I was focusing in on as an election attorney, as somebody who was running for secretary of state, the chief election officer of the state of California. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, the reason why our voter rolls are so bad in California and a lot of the United States, but they're really bad in California. Okay. is because there is a federal law called Help America Vote Act. And in that law, it lays out what you can do and can't do in cleaning up voter rolls. And what it is, is 
if the registered voters uh, finds out that you no longer live at an address, then they are to send you a postcard. And if you don't reply to that postcard within four years, you don't vote, then they take you off. What has happened now is hundreds of thousands of people have moved out of state and are getting mailed ballots. And people are actually voting those ballots and sending them back. We saw that in the recall. We saw that in the 2020 election. You know, if you get mailed a ballot, well, I must be authorized to vote it, right? And so we have a major problem with our voter rules. And now it creates situations where people are voting when they shouldn't be voting because, hey, I just got this ballot. I fill it out and I send it back. You know, I must be authorized. They must be knowing what they're doing. (laughs) Um, That law was passed in 1993. It was signed into law by Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. It is a federal law. That law needs to be modified. It needs to be revised. It needs to be edited. Mm-hmm. It needs to be edited so that the register of voters must, must, not if, it's must check their voter rolls every 30 days against three databases, DMV records, they must check it against social security records, and then it must be checked against USPS mail, mail. And if any of those three databases show that you've moved from your address, Mm-hmm. then you send a postcard and you send it to the new address and you send it to the old address. And if the person doesn't reply that, no, the first address is where they're going to be permanently reside and they're going to stay there. Unless they reply in the affirmative, then within 30 days, they are made an inactive voter. And mm-hmm. if we start doing that, we could clean up a lot of the election irregularities that you know people are talking about. So I looked at, you know, I could run for secretary of state and I could do some stuff with voter rolls and stuff like that. But the most mm-hmm. effective thing in helping the nation, bringing back at least some level of integrity to our elections, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done on the state level that I'm not going to be able to do and I don't want to do at the federal mm-hmm. level. But it is the federal law right now regarding what you can do to clean up the voter rolls. That law has to be modified. And I believe I'm going to be the only U.S. Senate candidate that's on the that's currently a United States senator or is running right now who's actually litigated these issues in courts. And so I'm in a very unusual situation where I actually understand the law. I've litigated the law. I understand what we need to do. And rather than trust some you know, lobbyist organization, K Street uh, firm to write the bill that goes through, it's going to be important to have somebody who's actually litigated these issues, who understands the issue, writing writing the legislation and leading the legislation. Yeah, a lot of my friends were asking about uh, election integrity for for questions for you, but that that's definitely a sound solution. Um, and I guess voter ID would be something that would be helpful as well. Um, what I'll kind of want from looking at it from the other side, like why would like in, in states like Georgia that pass these extra like integrity laws, how could they be looked at as suppressive to the other side of the spectrum? Is there a way? (laughs) Well, I mean, in politics, you always create a narrative 
to try to, you know, whether it's true or not. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that's unfortunately, I, you know, I, I, many corporations have bought hook, line, sinker, this narrative about how bad Georgia's election laws are or how Florida or Texas laws are. I mean, Arizona just passed a law and I think there was already two lawsuits filed within 24 hours, right. you know, going on. And, you know, the left right now wants to make it as easy to vote as possible. And that, that sounds like a good thing, right? We, yeah. we, we don't want to put unnecessary hurdles. But at the same time, well, we want every eligible voter to vote. Yeah. And we want every legal ballot to count. Mm-hmm. You've got to put in place some checks and balances to make sure that the person is actually eligible to vote. Yeah. You can't go into a liquor store and buy liquor without proving who you are. You can't get on a plane and fly in the United States of America without proving who you are. And so the whole concept of if you're going to be trying to make it so that people don't have to prove who they are in order to vote, there are a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who understand that this is not a good policy. And unfortunately, there are those who have political agendas that are not, we need to have a sound constitutional republic where we guarantee people's right of self-governance and that people are governed least Mm -hmm. um, and that power is at the lowest level. We got people like Gavin Newsom who so fell in love with his COVID powers that still two years later, the Super Bowl is being hosted in California. He's going on vacation in Costa Rica. I mean, I get that. That's how bad California is, is that he's telling everybody you got to spend your vacations in California. But he goes on vacation, Costa Rica, Central America. You know, there are enough people like that that just they love power so much. They don't even want to go, you know, even though that they have super majorities in the legislatures and could have ramped anything through, mm-hmm. they could have run, ran any of their COVID mandates through the legislature in 72 hours. And Gavin Newsom could have signed it into law. Yeah. But no, he loved absolute power where he could go in and write a law and it was done. And he could skirt the will of the people. He could skirt the legislative branch. He could skirt, you know, the balance of powers. And, you know, even in the most, supposedly, and, and I, you know, I say that because California is nowhere near as liberal as people think we are. We just have the most liberal politicians. And right. even though they had the most super majority and could run any COVID legislation through, I mean, we have a full-time legislature. They're there all the time. There was no reason why he couldn't have run these bills through and in one week signed it. But no, he wants to hold on to this tyrannical power where he he doesn't answer to the legislature, where he is just King Gavin. You know, Joe Biden is doing the exact same thing on the presidential level. That is not what a constitutional republic is. They are the executive. They are not the people who make the laws. To understand that, just go to Andrew Johnson, 17th president of the United States of America. He became president after Abraham Lincoln passed away. Mm -hmm. Congress passed the law. He vetoed it. Congress overrode his veto. 
he basically told Congress, I don't care about that. I'm not going to enforce your law. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Yeah. And Congress said, guess what? We're impeaching you for that. Okay. <laughs> you are the executive. You enforce the laws. You don't get to make the laws. You don't get to pick which laws you enforce and which ones you don't. That is what the true balance of power is supposed to be in a constitutional republic. Gavin Newsom, you know, Joe Biden, they have fallen in love with this executive order. And because the courts are not reining them in, we're going to have to do it through the legislature. We're going to have to do it through the U.S. Senate. So the best way to, like, say, end the state of emergency is just vote in new people or is there no... There's no lawsuit that can end a state of emergency in California, I, I, really. I've had 30 such lawsuits, you know, and we've <laughs> kind of buried it in almost every single one of the lawsuits. Um, yeah. But ultimately, the, unfortunately, the California courts do not seem to be willing to rein in Gavin Newsom's power. So, yes, we're going to have to vote out these uh, current politicians. We're going to have to rewrite the the laws on what the emergency powers are. We're going to have to do it on the federal level. We're yeah. going to need to do it on the state level. It may take a little bit of time, but I, I think there's a lot of people who are going to have very long memories. I mean, yesterday night I did an event at Pineapple Hill. Right. Pineapple Hill is the lady whose bar and grill, outdoor dining tent was shut down during the pandemic, but 10 feet away there was a tent where Hollywood actors and actresses were allowed to eat while they did their shows. Ten feet away. So ten feet away, you can eat in, in a tent. But over yeah. here, this mom and pop business could not eat. And that is why there are many disenfranchised Democrats. That is why there are many declined states that are going to come out in November and say, no, no, Gavin, no, no, Biden. You have gone too far. And, you know, in order to maybe, you know, bring a little bit more balance mm -hmm. to America, to bring more balance to California, we are going to put in some sound representatives who are going to be fighting for we the people, not fighting for your political power and for your ability to do favors to, you know, the political elite. Yeah. And you mentioned that, like, yeah, that he could have rammed in through these laws, like with the legislature. And we have a lot of those actual bills kind of in the pipeline. We had the the employer mandate bill that was actually discontinued. And we have, you know, defunding police if they don't enforce masking and all these kinds of bills um, that have so far not made the best progress. But um, do you have advice? And why on is how that? Why yeah. is that? Well, I mean, they they put out like a couple of days before the hearing, like all the oppositions and then they put out the pros and the pros is like two groups and two individuals. And one of the groups is like the actual special interest group of one of the writers of the bill. And I mean, is that enough? Just keep opposing it or they're like, well, we're going to do it anyway. Well, here, what 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 you're what you've answered your own question. Yeah. We've defeated these bills because the legislators are up for the assemblymen, yeah. and assemblywomen are up for election this November. Mm -hmm. And when we put in 85,000 phone calls in a couple hours to their offices saying, oh, this bill that you want to do, we don't like, <laughs> they know how to count. And if yeah. they, and they know that for every one person who's calling, who's upset, there's another 20 who don't even bother taking the time to call, but they will vote. 
Yeah. And they start, those numbers start adding up. They're accountable to the people. They go, well, I, if I want to keep my office, I'm not going to let this legislation go through. And yeah. that's the way, that's why you have the people's house. Yeah. That's why you have the assembly. That's why you have the Congress, why they are elected every two years so that they can be accountable to we, the people. Now, uh, the answer to these problems, though, believe it or not, is not term limits. Oh, wow. Yeah, because, a lot of people say that. But but the reason why the answer is not term limits is because what we've just seen in the last couple of years, even here in California, oh, they bring up this vaccine bill. We put 85,000 phone calls in the next couple hours and wham, uh, it's, you know, they, they pull those bills. The problem is, is a congressman in right now represents 750,000 people. An assemblyman in California is representing about a half a million people. If you go back to our original constitution, mm -hmm. a congressman was supposed to represent no more than about 30,000 people. Oh, wow. You know, it's really hard to buy Congress when a congressman is represented by 30,000 people. <laughs> You understand the concept? Because you're not going to be able to flood the airways with TV and radio. It's going to be much, you know, can you yeah. imagine? Advertising? Yeah. You know, you don't see city council races on TV in Los Angeles County because there's 120 cities. City council is not going to raise enough money to buy a TV ad. When you bring the, rep the people's house to where the person is represented by just a fewer you have more representatives, but fewer people. What you do is you make it easier to vote those people out of office and you make them a lot, much more accountable to the people. But when you have these massive districts of a half a million, three quarter a million, now all of a sudden it's hard to get that person out because of how many people you have to educate. I'm running for U.S. Senate. I got to get about 8 million people to vote for me by this November in order to become a United States senator. Maybe I'm going to have to get 10 million. It's somewhere in between the eight to 10 million people. I'm going to have to get to vote for me. Yeah. That's a lot of people that I have to touch. And you have to touch people three, four, five, six, seven times. That's a lot of voter contact that you have to do. Now, take that down to a congressional race. If you got 30,000 people, you know, maybe 20,000, I will say 15,000 are going to vote. Mm -hmm. That means you need about 8,000 people to vote for you. Well, you know, I don't care what your job is. Over the course of a summer, you can knock 8,000 doors, have personal conversations, and get 8,000 people to understand why the bum who's in office <laughs> needs to be voted out. And you don't need a TV budget. You don't need a social media budget. You don't need a massive volunteer budget. One, you can, one man can actually do that. The problem with – if you want your – if you want Congress, if you want the assembly to be more responsive to the people, the answer is we actually have to have more representatives for fewer people. And by doing that, that's how you bring power back to we the people. You have seen that when we the people get engaged in enough numbers, we're defeating these bills. And that is the reason why Gavin Newsom doesn't want to give up his powers. He wants to have, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be real hard to find 10 million people to vote against him in the state of California. He knows that he has the ability to raise a lot more money than any of his challengers are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he keeps those bills. He gets to continue his aggressive destroy our constitution 
uh, because he doesn't like our Constitution. He <laughs> hates how the Constitution limited <laughs> powers during COVID. Yeah. But, you know, he's not a friend of the Constitution. He's not a friend of the Constitutional Republic. He wants to keep those tyrannical powers to himself. He doesn't want the legislature doing it because he knows that we the people can defeat that. So, but wouldn't state uh, U.S. Senate be maybe the one office where you would want to have term limits? Because it's like six years and it's like a whole state. Like, would that or or still wouldn't follow through? Actually, the better answer is to go back to how our Constitution was designed. Okay. The, the, the U.S. Senate was not supposed to be a directly elected seat. Our balance of power said that your state legislature appointed your U.S. Senator. So wow. you had the House of Representatives, which was elected by the people. Then your U.S. Senator was elected by your state representative. So here in the state of California, we have 40 uh, state senators and 80 uh, assemblymen. Those 120 people would get together and they would vote and you needed 61 votes in order to send a U.S. senator. And because those 61 people were making the decision, it was a, you know, that U.S. senator was really accountable to the state and state's rights. And so it created another balance in our federal government, because what you had was you had a branch that was really answerable to the people. You had a branch that was really answerable to the states. And then you had an executive who would sign those laws who had to have this mass, uh, you know, had to have a mass, mass support by the people and by the party apparatus in uh, in in this jigsaw process called the electoral college mm-hmm. and so it was not just uh you know when we went through the the progressive amendments you know where we allowed the income tax where we allowed um the state to you know allow direct representatives of the uh senators what we ended in the prohibition was the other one that came in at that time. And the reason why we had prohibition is because in order to get prohibition through, the problem is a lot of the federal government was coming from the whiskey tax. And so in order to do that, we had to bring in the income tax. You notice it's very interesting that when prohibition ended, they didn't end the income tax. You know, the, the politicians loved all of a sudden the fact that they could directly tax the people and because the U.S. senators were no longer accountable to the states, it really pulled a lot of the state power away and the, the real check on the federal government that was meant to be there. Our founding fathers weaved in all of these checks and balances uh, to help ensure that you didn't have what happened this last uh, cycle where, you know, just a couple politicians, you know, anybody who thought that uh Brandon had a mandate by the narrow victory that he had to now all of a sudden thumb his nose at the Constitution and just start depriving everybody of their constitutional rights with his mandates. I mean, it's asinine to think what, you know, how that narrow victory has given them this massive mandate that they've just been running with. You know, no, they won. They want to push their progressive agenda as far as they possibly can. 
And the thing is, we, the people, realize how far out of touch they are. We understand how they are depriving us of that fundamental right of self-determination. We don't want unelected politicians in D.C. determining whether or not our children have to wear masks. We don't want unelected politicians in D.C. choosing whether or not our business is open or whether it's closed. We don't want unelected politicians determining whether or not we're allowed to go to the beach or the park. Um, We're Americans. This is why we are special. This is why people come to the United States of America is because they understand the fundamental principle that we have here in America is freedom, freedom to make choices. And the current batch of politicians that are in power in D.C. and in Sacramento have overstepped and the people realize it. And I think in November, there's going to be a major reckoning. All right. We're in the home stretch of this marathon discussion with Mark Moiser. Uh, but one way, this is the classic way you can support this podcast is to go to patreon.com slash funny Evan. There are reward tiers based on your level of support, whatever you can do, whether it's $10 a month or $5 a month, a dollar a month, $50 a month. Um, that helps me continue to put out episodes. Um, cause if something fun, fun or opportunistic comes together like this interview with Mark, I can right away throw it up there and, uh, have your support to kind of make that happen. Um, so go to patreon.com slash funny Evan and let's finish off the talk with Mark Moiser. And ironically, you're running against an unelected U S Senator because this is someone who was appointed by the governor, much like the secretary of state. Um, but have you been following, um, potentially it would probably be you against, uh, Senator Padilla. I mean, did you learn enough about him when you ran for secretary of state? Um, do you see things in his policies that, that are vulnerable? Like if it was, you know, you advancing to the final two, how, how would you approach that? Or what have you learned about that person specifically? Well, I mean, first off, yeah. Let's look at the history of elected senator or not elected appointed senators. Yeah. What happened to Georgia? What happened in Alabama? What happened in Arizona? I, I, I think the last four U.S. senators who have been appointed, I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I know the last three. I think it's the last four yeah. U.S. senators appointed did not win their elections. And I believe the last two California senators who have been appointed, did not actually win their elections. For some reason, the people <laughs> of the United States, when you are appointed senator, they, they for some reason, they really do not uh, like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not a, a good track record for them. Now, that being said, uh, Padilla has a record that we are going to have a lot of fun with. You okay. know, if you think defund the police is a great policy, he thinks we need to defund border patrol. If you think gas prices are high enough right now, and we should do something about that, he actually thinks that we need to be taxing the corporations that are refining our oil. And for every, it's some crazy thing right now, but it's like you go look at what their profits were 10 years, you know, what, no, how much. They produced 10 years ago, and everything over that is now this 50% tax. He is trying to drive up the price of gas with more federal taxes. 
So this is similar to what was happening that day. They tried to hear Kylie's gas tax holiday. Instead, they're like, let's raise taxes instead on the companies. Yeah. And and so ultimately, at the end of the day, he's so out of touch with the people of California that, you know, when it gets down to just being the two of us, we are going to have a lot of fun of distinguishing my policies and his policies. But uh, right now, my focus is on making sure that I educate voters of who I am, why I'm running, why it's important. Uh, and, you know, and actually probably the most important thing is that I can win. There's too many people believe this lie that California is so far left that a conservative uh, constitutionalist uh, Republican like me has no chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, uh I, I've had, you know, a major Democrat bundler come to me and said, Mark, when you got into this race last summer, I gave you a 2% chance to win it. I now I'm giving you a one in three shot at winning this thing. And I mean, I, and I still got seven months to go, yeah. you know, and, and, he, and he talks to me every now and then he kind of says, you know, my party is doing everything that they can to get you elected. You know, they are out of touch with needs of parents. They're out of touch with the middle class. They are so pushing their agenda that they have lost track of where the voters are. And the voters are willing to cross party lines if it means safe streets. They're willing to cross party lines if it means that they can actually don't have to take out a second mortgage on their house in order to buy a tank of gas. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they know that what's going on right now is not working. Do you then? Called- oh, do you then have a message like to, you know, traditionally Democratic voters would be people of color, LGBTQ. Like, do you have a message to those groups of voters that traditionally vote Democrat or is it just is it just follow the policies? Do we even need to, like, label people by their orientation or their race because the, I just feel like that's a very, uh, almost like a, a bigoted viewpoint. Like you're looking at it like all people of the same race vote the same way because that's what they all do. Um, yeah. But do you have a message to, to those um, traditionally lefter uh, groups of people that that would listen to, to your side without being like turned off by, oh my gosh, an R, I'm going to run away. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the left is going to do everything they can to try to label me as a racist, label me as a bigot, label me as, you know, whatever they can, because they don't have a platform to run on. So what they're going to do is they're going to try to try to label and brand me. What I, what's going to be my duty and my responsibility in my campaign, you know, once we get through the top two, it's going to be my job to provide a unified message of what they need to vote for. Mm -hmm. And really, what we need is our freedoms back. We need to allow people to have the right of self-governance, people the right to make a decision about what's best for them and their families, what's best for their careers. And we need to get the government out of that. And that crosses party lines. I mean, yesterday I was at an event where a uh, openly uh, gay man came up to me and says, I am not a slave. I do not vote because somebody says I must vote a certain way. I look at my pocketbook, you know, and the policies of the left 
are destroying my pocketbook. And that's why I am voting for you. You know, and I talked to some Hispanics. It's like, you know, I am told that I am supposed to vote Democrat because you are a racist. No, <laughs> you're actually fighting for my children to have an education so that they can succeed. You're fighting for my children to be able to walk to school and not be shot. You're fighting for sound fiscal decisions where we're not wasting money on politicians' pet projects to pay back their uh, political funders, okay? You're fighting for we the people. And as we get that message out to we the people, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're Asian, Chinese, Filipino, or Korean. It doesn't matter if you're uh, Indian or Cuban-American. You're here in America because you want the freedom of living in a constitutional republic that is based upon the foundation of you having the right of self-governance. People may not be able to express it that way, but that is the fundamental principle of why people are coming to America. It is the opportunity. And it doesn't matter if they are a first generation or a third generation. They're Americans. And they're Americans because they want that opportunity to succeed. And there's a lot more people out there who just want the government out of their way so that they can succeed. Then there are people who want the government to basically tell them what to do and what not to do. And to say, well, because of your race, you can't do this. Or because of your race, you have to feel bitter against this group of people. Um, this is the time to unite people. It's not the time to divide people. I just wonder if they're going to slander you as being unhealthy. You being well, like the Iron Man pro that you are. I wouldn't <laughs> say that I'm a pro. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm an Iron Man addict. Okay. I, cause I want to get into that a little, I mean, I, I ran in college and high school and, uh, cause you, you basically, you run a 5k every day, Yes. but sometimes you bike from San Francisco to orange County. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been accused of doing that. <laughs> what is, I mean, what in 2018, is, I, I rode my bike to every single County in the state of California over 46 days while you were campaigning while I was campaigning. I campaigned from the bike. Wow. What, what is your nutrition advice to California and America? How do you make well, it work? You, well, you just have to, you know, it's real easy to eat a lot of bad food when you're on the campaign trail. I mean, yeah. you're at gas stations and you're at the rubber chicken circuit. And it's just, I have in the back of my car, a bunch of healthy snacks that I, you know, I, you know, try to take advantage of. And, you know, you have to say, you have to be disciplined and say no an awful lot. And you have to, you know, learn where to eat and what to eat and, you know, not to, you know, it's really easy to put weight on. Cause it, cause it felt like that was not health. Wasn't a, a big push from the, during the COVID times of like, no. here's how you, yeah. So, yeah. So wait, so with a, with a Ironman, you do, you bike, you marathon, and then you swim. No, you swim two point with well, the full Ironman. If yeah. you swim 2.4 miles. Yeah. You bike 112 miles and then you run a marathon. Okay. The, the half Ironman, which I've done a lot more of those than the fulls. I've only finished two fulls, but I've right. done like 15 halves. Right. And you know, that is a uh, 
1.2 mile swim followed by a 56 mile bike ride and then a 13.1 mile run. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. It takes, it takes a little, you know, a couple hours around, around what has been your best marathon time? Like I, under four hours. I've, I've only once actually done a full marathon okay. apart from an Ironman. Okay. So, uh, and that I was out of shape then. And my pull, my purpose was just to run the first half a marathon. And then I just kind of turned yeah. the breath, other half into intervals. So I've never yeah. really been a good, uh, distance, uh, runner or whatever. I oh, just no kinda, way. Yeah. I, I'm, I came to Ironman through the biking, you know, through I, the bike. I, okay. Well, uh, I, I barely know how to ride a bike. So that, that, that's where we, that's where our parts, our paths diverge, I guess. <laughs> you know, Do you have so, th- go ahead. No, no. So the, the thing is running has never actually been my, my strength of it. It's actually coming in with my weakness. And it's one of the reasons why during this campaign, because my last half was in October of 2021, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't working out because I was on the campaign trail and it, it hurt. It yeah. really hurt. To do that. <laughs> my next half is going to be after the campaign this December. So I'll have about five weeks after the campaign to try to get up to shape, to try to survive a half Ironman, but it's okay. one of the things is I didn't want the running to lose my running. So that's one of the reasons why I run at least a 5k a day. In fact, I finished my 5k a day, uh, probably about a half hour before I jumped on this interview with you. Oh, very good. Yeah. I was, I was doing about 5k every, every so often, but then I got mandated out of Los Angeles gyms, but I um, think I'm allowed back in, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Cause I was gonna ask you these running questions. Like, do you have, do you have best, best workout or running music suggestions? I'm going to be terrible on that in the fact that I do not listen to music while I run. Uh, I remember I went, I ran, I went to the gym in September during the recall about in like the planet fitness, like every, I was like basically watching recall ads while I was running the entire time. Yeah. It was rough. When I, when I run, it's a time where I'm really clearing my head, Uh whether I'm biking, running or swimming, uh, it, you know, the, the, the litigation that I'm doing is so intense or the yeah. campaign work is so intense. It's really the time where I'm just shutting everything off and allowing my thoughts to flow. And so, uh, I, you know, when I'm out there running, I I'm not listening to anything and I'm just enjoying, I'm jo- enjoying the run, looking at the scenery and having fun, uh, favorite workouts. Um, I don't know. I hate intervals but they're yeah, good for you. Oh, I do them. I, I absolutely hate them. So, you know, today what I was doing, I actually, uh, because I'm on the road, I, I went into a gym and I, uh, jumped on the treadmill and it was two minutes on one minute off, two minutes on one minute off and did that for 30 minutes. So, uh, you know, that was my, that was my workout today. So you're running it harder. You're going like, like, at like 60, 70% and then you then you, okay. Yeah. I hear you. It's so like a quarter mile on about. And then, yeah. Well, this particular workout, it was the one minute off was like a walking pace. So I dropped it down to four. Yeah, okay. it was actually The first minute was at a four minute mile pace. Whoa. And, and so it was just, it's a fast walk. Yeah. And then the two minute oh, run, what I, the first one was like at 6.4 miles. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back to walking, I bumped it 0.1. Okay. And when I went back to running, I bumped at point two. Yeah. And so the, when, when it was all said and done the last, uh, two minute cycle, I was running a, uh, six and a half minute pace. Well, that's good. But, you know, 
for me, that's good for a non-runner, you know, six and a half minute pace. That's, that's kind of task for that, that. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, my, my, that's, that's my towards my top end. I mean, not, not my top sprinting in, but that's my top running in when I, yeah. when I'm, when I'm in shape, I, I run a, a 42 minute 10 K. Oh, that's great. Um, then have you gotten many, when you run outside, do you ever get like run forest runs or is that more of a thing of the nineties? Uh, I, I have not heard that one in a long time. Okay. But when I was riding my bike around the state for the, the secretary of state, I actually had some interesting stories where I'd be coming up on construction zones and yeah. the guy would reach down, grab a water bottle and hand it up to me. Or, or I had, <laughs> I had, you know, people actually do u-turns on the road and come around and say hey here's a water bottle because people had knew that i was doing this it was quite interesting i had a flat tire walked into a bicycle shop and the guy knew who i was i was a i was a statewide candidate that was riding his bike and it's like he he fixed the (laughs) you know he put drop put everything aside and and put my bike on first so i could get back out on the campaign trail so it, it was actually quite interesting how many people knew about uh, that, you know, me going around, I mean, it's just story, oh. funny stories like that just happened. I you know, remember, uh, riding through, uh, well, I, did, I rode through Death Valley in the middle of the night, but I, I was coming up from, uh, Imperial County into Palm desert at the mm-hmm. night. And there's a check station there. And I, I came through the check station at, you know, I think it was like one o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I made, I yelled out, so do I need to stop so you can check me? And they, they just <laughs> come on through. And like, you know, 15 minutes later, my RV uh, came up and they wouldn't let them go for about 25 minutes because they wanted to find out all about my riding around the state because they had heard oh, about wow. it. And they just, they just, they wanted to find out more because they'd seen me now. And, it was, and so it was, Stories like that were going on. Uh, it just it was very interesting. So no, I don't have run force run, but when I did yeah. bike all over the state of California, it was quite, uh, it, it was very interesting. And then asking for a friend of mine, have you ever seen those Prefontaine movies? Did you ever see Prefontaine without limits? Um, I remember vaguely I, or I, I see my brother ran, uh, track and field and so he he watched a lot of track and field stuff i know who prefontaine is i know back when i was a teenager i watched a couple prefontaine stuff but i can't i couldn't tell you what the titles were or anything like that i i know who he is i know i have i i know his story generally but it's not something that i've watched recently so okay being a native californian then any uh favorite california teams that you root for or or is iron man your sport that you root for you know, I'm a, I'm a red blooded American. I do, you know, I, you know, in, uh, I, I have the, you know, when I'm at a gym and there's a, you know, a giant Dodger game, I, you know, I will sit there and watch the game as I run on the treadmill or, you know, I'll, you know, during the football playoffs, I had the ability, you know, I, I don't sit on the couch and watch sports. Yeah. If I'm going to watch a game, I go to the gym and I, you know, I run on the treadmill yeah. Yeah. or on the exercise bike. And so that unfortunately is when I watch, you know, whether it's the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, yeah. you know, it, it, it's hockey, basketball, whatever. If I, if I want to watch one of the games, I, I tend to just jump on a treadmill and that's when I do it. Um, I do 
I triathlon is the sport that I compete in. Yeah. Uh, but, and I know who the pros are and I watch their stuff from time to time, but it's not like I, I do it because it's for my health and it's because mm-hmm. I enjoy doing it. And it's mm-hmm. the way how I clear out my mind from all the stressful litigation or political stuff that I'm doing. It's a way to just reset the body and keep going hundred percent. Um, so it's not like I'm doing this because so-and-so is a pro and they've just, you know, knocked out a, a crazy time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's fun to watch their workout videos and see what they're doing in their times, but it's, you know, just like I couldn't uh, get on a track and run with, you know, <laughs> Prefontaine or, yeah. you know, you know, I'm not that kind of level. I'm not at the the professionals levels. I'm just an amateur who, you know, loves staying in shape. Yeah. And I guess one of my final questions is uh, in terms of books, obviously you're, you're well-read when you bring up the Madison papers constitution, are there like recent book recommendations you have both legal related, not legal related, COVID related, any, anything you've come across the last couple of years, you'd, you'd, you'd recommend or. I have, if you go to volunteers for markmoiser.com, there is a book list where I think I have about 21 books that oh, I okay. think are, are kind of important. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll touch a couple, uh, titles here though, that, okay. you know, with, and I would say, you know, I spent the time putting together this comprehensive list. Um, so go to volunteers for markmoiser.com. My other website is markmoiser.com. If you want to make a contribution, if you want to sign up for my email list, but sure. if you want to volunteer, it's volunteers for Mark Moiser. But over at volunteers, uh, for markmoiser.com, they asked me to put together a book list and, it, and the way how I looked at it is I looked at it through United States history. And, you know, what were the most important books about, you know, the constitutional age? What were the most important books about, you know, the people around the War of 1812? What were the most important books about the golden age of the Senate? What is, you know, what is the most important book that you need to read, you know, that I found, you know, during the Civil War? What are the most important books about the Industrial Revolution? What were the most important books about the progressive age? And I kind of went through the whole thing and select. And I didn't, I, if I remember right, I didn't select books by the same author. There are authors like David McCullough, who's written, I've read all of his books and he's written books in, in many different segments. So I, I tended to pick my favorite book of his, you know, Ron Chernow is another modern author that I really like. And I, I picked one of his books to represent one of those things. Um, Regarding COVID, I think the real uh, Dr. Fauci uh, by uh, Kennedy, uh, that is a real eye-opener. You do have to understand that he, you know, every author has their biases. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to read, you need to make sure you understand the author's biases before you read the book, because you have to read what they're writing through their perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, and if you have critical thinking skills, you can read books that are sometimes written by authors that you would not normally agree with. I'm not saying that he is one of those, but some of the uh, books that I have put on my list, I may not, you know, why are you supporting this person? Or, you know, they, they may be writing at it from a different perspective, but I still found it very educational because I stopped and I was able to understand who was writing it and why they're writing it. And so for critical thinking skills, you, I think in order to read his books, you've got to actually understand 
he, who he is and why he's writing the book. I think that's, so that, that's my only caution is, mm-hmm. you know, I think Kennedy has done a lot of good stuff, but you do need to understand his perspective in writing the book before you read it. Yeah. Um, I, Scott Atlas, you know, when I did the list, Scott, I hadn't read Scott Atlas's book yet. Okay. Uh, Scott Atlas was, you know, re, I'm trying to remember the name of his book right now, but uh, he wrote a book on COVID uh, that is, that's very, very well done also. Um, yeah. So those are the two COVID books that I uh, would tend to recommend as, you know, modern, what's going on, mm-hmm. uh, important to read. Uh, probably, you know, the best book I've read on the American Revolution yeah. was, uh, it's called The Story of a Revolution. It was written by uh, Lodge Jr. Uh, so it's over 100 years old. Uh, but it's probably, when I picked up that book, I could not, it, it, literally, I could not put it down. I mean, I was, wow. it, it was actually a two volume set, but it was written in the late or early 1900s or something like that. And uh, he did, he's Senator Lodge from Massachusetts. He did a very good job on the American Revolution. It's one of the best books I've ever read on the American Revolution. And I've probably written, I've probably read probably 50 to 100 books on the American Revolution. And it's, I mean, it's not even close. It's just it's hands and uh, head and shoulders above everything else. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of have all the different different categories, you know, from World War One, World War Two, you know, the Cold War, Union. So it's a it's a very comprehensive list, and I just encourage people to go look at that. Have you ever? Last thing, have you ever got guest lectured about any of this stuff? Have you gone to like a college and spoken about like American history? Have you spoken about legal process? Because you, you're extremely well read, or yeah. at least you know worldly. So how have you done that opportunity? Has it? I, I've had the opportunity just a couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke at a law symposium uh, mm-hmm. regarding COVID and the law mm-hmm. and what's going on. And I had the opportunity to, you know, I was sitting next to two uh, professors that do uh, international law. And I had mm-hmm. a quite different perspective on the American <laughs> Constitution and our response than they did. Uh, okay. they, they thought we didn't go far enough. And I was kind of the... <laughs> no, no, this is what, you know, this is what our founding fathers did. This is uh, yeah. what the reality is. And this is where we're supposed to be. But uh, that was an interesting thing. I've also from time to time have had the opportunity to, you know, pro- pro- do lectures on various founding fathers. Uh, one of my favorites is Roger Sherman. And uh, he, he is a very interesting character. I didn't always take the mo- the names that everybody knows about. I mean, James Wilson's is an, another founding father that I think has a very interesting story. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, probably ne- never has been a career or anything like that. It's just, you know, people know about my knowledge and I, I've, I've been put on a few stages. So I've been able to talk about it. All right. Cool. Well, I know you're, you're extremely busy. I'm going to let you, you went over time, which is very appreciative. Um, but yeah, markmoiser.com um, to, to join the ride, join the bike ride and for future events. And uh, yeah, I didn't even ask you who your favorite comedian was, but that's okay. That'll be for, uh, for the, for the primary, after the primary. Well, you know, seeing as I haven't actually gone to your show, so you probably wouldn't like that answer. I need to go to your show to know if you're my favorite. I know. Comedian. Yeah, you don't have that. See, you didn't you didn't go political and be like, you're my favorite comedian. I'm like, no, it's okay. You can you can say whoever. 
but yeah, I, I would answer. Yeah, I don't know that he's really a comedian, but uh, Evan say it. I've I've always you know I think he considers himself a humorist, and I think he I've always enjoyed his political humor. Okay, perfect. All right, cool. Well, glad glad to be your Facebook friend. Uh, I'll, I'll see you further up the road, or I'll try to get in good enough shape to run beside you. I, I think you, pro- if you're a college runner, you probably would do just fine. I probably wouldn't have no problem. Oh, that was a long time ago. That was, that was, that was Y2K times. Okay. Well, yeah. let's see you out there on the trails. Yes. Right. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Mark for coming on the podcast. If you're interested in, in what he's up to, uh, markmoiser.com is in the show notes. It's Mark M E U S E R.com. Also volunteers for markmoiser.com. If you are interested in helping him out, um, it would be pretty amazing if, uh, he kind of, uh, changed the expected timeline of the state of California and he picked the Senate race for very specific reasons. And, uh, he definitely, I got him to try to look at things from the other side on a few issues, um, but we'll see where he goes. Um, we have our primary on June 7th and then the general election uh, in November. So uh, thanks for checking this out. More awkward interviews with my Facebook friends down the road and stay awkward because I will. Thanks for listening. Go to awkwardwithevan.com to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Now for Evan's mom to pick out his clothes for tomorrow. See you next time on Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Wexel. Wexel.